Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Shatzer Says. I'm your host, Mike Shatzer. This is episode five, Over Under. And again, I have another special guest, an esteemed Lindbrook slash Millersville alumni, uh, a sports historian, acclaimed author and educator extraordinaire. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce my guest tonight, Mr. Craig Mesmer. Welcome, Craig, to Shatzer Says. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I've listened to the uh, first four episodes and I uh, really like what you got. Really like what you got going on here. Thanks for inviting me to your podcast. This should be fun. Uh, I'm glad you could make it, and I uh, hope you're enjoying this snowy weather up there in the Northeast. Um, you know, which which podcast that you, what, you know, which ones did you like? What what struck a chord with you? So obviously, anytime you're talking about stuff with Lindbrook, I mean, if you lived in Lindbrook back when we were there, with the couches catching on fire and all the crazy parties, and you know, all the we were just you know before we came on the air, we were talking about just couple of little things back and forth that we never even thought of. And if you lived in Lindbrook in early to mid nineties, I mean, it was just a wild scene. Uh, I like the Vidiots one too, you know, growing up in the eighties, playing pitfall, playing Donkey Kong and all the different, you know, Madden, of course, just spending endless hours playing Madden. You know, me, me and our buddy Skelly used to have some epic battles. I would usually come up on a short end of the stick, but I got him enough times to at least put a scare into him. But, you know, Tom was always taking that fullback with the yeoman-like effort, hitting the tight end, and then I'll, I'm gonna hit you big with the big one down the field. Tom always had his his uh, strategy going, but I like I like the video game one. Anything about college and of course sports because I'm a big sports guy, so I'm all, all about sports. I got you. What, what's your what's your best memory of Limbrook? Like, give me one that maybe I didn't mention on the on the on the podcast yesterday. So I remember being out there. It was probably I guess maybe my junior year, middle of the summer. A random Tuesday, Wednesday night, whatever it was, about 10 o'clock at night, all of a sudden we hear this loud crash and three or four cop cars come zooming down. Four high school kids, I would assume they're probably high school kids, they must have stolen a car and they came flying down the middle of Lindbrook. And if you remember Lindbrook, there was that one center drag where they had the one speed bump right near 741 or 999, whichever road it was right there by the graveyard, right across from the graveyard. And then the second speed bump, which is where I lived at 34B, right along the main drag. And then right past there, they they thought it was a through street. So they come flying through over the speed bumps at like 80 miles an hour. Well, the street ends about 50 feet at, right after that second speed bump down by the mailboxes and stuff like that. They hit this sort of embankment, like one of those big telephone poles that's there for edging. The car went flipping over. They had three cop cars there. They had guns pointed at these kids, and it was like, "Hey, this is, we're just all hanging out watching this, you know, like it's like it's watching cops on TV." But it was just just another Tuesday night in Lindbrook. That's right. I'm sure we were probably sitting out on the stoop, you know, like we used to do in the summertime out there, getting stupid on the stoop there at 16B. Oh, yeah. We saw it all happen, and you know, that's that was Lindbrook. It was the Wild West, man. It was it's the Wild West, you know. LCB came in. There was always couches on fire. Every you get, you could judge the weekend by how many couches would be on fire in that center courtyard back there. You know, two, three couches a week. Oh, it was a good weekend. A lot of good parties going on. So that was all, all good. They burnt Berg's mattress one time, and uh, just you know, just you, 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 you couldn't do that nowadays. I'm just saying that's just oh you know, no. And those you were know. actually decent apartments. They were two bedroom, two full baths. You had kitchen. You had a little deck area, or a little patio. You know, a little depending whether you're on the first or the second floor. Four units per building. Right. I mean, I think they've probably fixed them up now, but I mean, I'm I lived in a place that was when my family came to visit at graduation. My sister would not bring 
her young child into the apartment because it was just that dirty and that much of just a, a degenerate bachelor pad with just, you know, reeking of everything possible. It was just, how did we ever possibly live here for three years, let alone <laughs> spend half my life there? Let alone graduate, right? Yeah, really. Um, oh, uh, well, let, let's get to the matter at hand. I mean, we, I brought you on to talk about, you know, like I said, you're an author. You've written two books, um, two totally different sports. I mean, the first book you wrote was Stat One. And it's about baseball, you know, and I remember you gave me a, a, a one of the first copies out there and I read the book and I'm like, damn, this is a lot of data here, a lot of information on this book. I mean, tell me about what Stat One, what was your goal with Stat One? Because it was, it was a new concept, to me at least. So the idea behind Stat One was, it was something I had in my head for many years and it really came about from, my grandfather was a big baseball fan, big Yankees fan, big Lou Gehrig fan, and he would always talk about all the numbers and the statistics. And I kept thinking, I wonder if there's one way to to take all these numbers and put it into one comprehensive statistic that you could then use to rate and rank and compare players. You know, baseball has a lot of stats in it. It also has a lot of bad stats in it. And when you look at whip, you know, in whip, if you're talking about a pitcher giving up a home run or giving up a single, two very different instances in a game yet according to their whip it, it counts the same a walk and a hit right. whether it's a single whether it's a walk whether it's a three-run bomb all counts the same so to me that's a bad stat OPS is another one it's a very overrated statistic that everybody quotes but there's really a lot of flaws if you put it under a microscope so you know without spending too much time on that I tried to come up with a comprehensive statistic that would measure offensive performance it looks at production meaning how well you accomplished generating runs for your team and it looks at efficiency in terms of just generating base to base times per plate appearance and then it puts right. it into one overall average and then I use that to you know write about different character bios and top 10 lists and who are the best players of all time and things like that so it was a labor of love it was a lot of work the manuscript ended up being about 800 pages and McGraw Hill was the publisher and then they got back to me and said okay you know it's good we like it but cut it in half and that was like, you know, you're cutting off your own arm. You write 800 pages and then you got to basically throw about 400 of them in the garbage. That was that was mind boggling. But we eventually got it into a finished form and yeah, about five or six people actually bought the book, too. So that was good. <laughs> well, I have a copy and I think it might be autographed. So you never know. There you, there you go. You know, so that's the baseball book. But your new book is called Fantasy Football Retrospective. Okay. And fantasy football is huge. I mean, we play it here at home. We play it online. I mean, I've been doing fantasy football since the 90s. I remember back in the old days, you know, before the internet, you know, where I'd get the Sunday or the Monday paper and do everyone's stats for them. I was the commissioner, you know, and we would do the stats and I would write the stats down on a piece of paper and a calculator. And then I would, you know, wait till the Monday night game and then send everyone their stats. Like, this is how you did. And people be like, well, you know, so-and-so had more. So I make sure they double check my math. But I mean, that, fantasy football has come a long way. So, you know, what was your motivation to write this fantasy football retrospective? Well, a couple things. I mean, I had it once again, I had the idea in my head to kind of look at fantasy football and look at the history of the NFL and then combine them. So like you said, you know, fantasy has been around since maybe the nineties. I started the first league I ever, I ever ran was in 1995, but obviously, you know, if you talk about the AFL NFL merger, so I took it all the way back to 1970 and I analyzed every season of the NFL from 1970 up to present, but within the perspective of fantasy football statistics and analysis. So if you just pick any season, 1976, well, who was the top fantasy football performer in 1976? Who were the top running backs? Who were the top quarterbacks of the 80s? Things like that. Take it on a year-by-year -year basis. And then we just do a lot of fun, 
you know, top 10 list. What are some of the, the, the key fantasy seasons of all time? There's some advice on how to win a fantasy league. And it's really just looking back at the history of football, but within this modern view of fantasy football that, like you said, everybody plays it. They estimate 50, 60 million people probably play fantasy football. And everything that's out there is very cookie cutter. Everybody has the same top 10 list, the same, you know, Christian McCaffrey's my top guy, Saquon Barkley's going to be the next pick. But I wanted to look at it in terms of if you can see some of the themes that have developed over the past and see where the game is, has come from, I think it makes you a better informed player. And a lot of it is luck. You know, you get a bad injury, um, your quarterback yeah, goes down, it. something like that. You're, you're just screwed. But there is the other aspect of of it that is definitely there is skill involved in knowing who to draft and and when to draft them and when to get rid of guys and things like that and the more you know about the past the better you're going to be able to make predictions about the future i would say so so is this book just data or does it have like a how-to and like some, some tips and like can i use this book next year for my strategy for drafting my fantasy football team absolutely and you know it, it's a little bit of both to answer your question there's a lot of there's a lot of numbers and a lot of data but then there's also a lot of narrative to go along with it. It's an easy read. It's really, you know, my son plays fantasy football. He had one of his friends. I gave him one of the original copies. And his dad said he sat up in his bedroom and the entire weekend he read your book from cover to cover. He was so into it and just learning about, you know, Dan Marino and Walter Payton and, you know, some of these guys that he had never heard of or didn't know too much about. So it gives you a little historical perspective. But yes, it, it, if you if you glean some of the information from it, it's going to help you to be a better fantasy football player, run a better league, organize a better draft strategy, know when to pick a guy up, know when you should be looking the other way, because some of this stuff is, you know, cyclical. It comes around. It may not always repeat exactly, but it, it, it comes close. I mean, I mean, you look at, you mentioned Dan Marino, you know, we talked about this before 1984 season, what do you throw for 5,000 yards, something like that? Yep. 5,080, 5,000. 84 yards and 48 touchdown passes. Right. Yeah. And how, how, how did the Dolphins do that year? That was the team. I think that was his second year. I believe. I think they went to the, I think they went to the Super Bowl, lost to the Niners that year. And that was the team that Bill Walsh said was his best Niners team out of all the teams. Right. And then now you got a guy like Stafford who throws for 5,000 yards and he goes, goes 5 six and, and 11. Ten. He goes <laughs> 6 and 10, 5 and 11. You know, everybody throws for five. We've had seasons where you've had multiple guys throw for 5,000 yards. It's cheap. You know, Dan Marino still has Dan Marino. When he went to that Super Bowl, he had a tuxedo that he had specially made for that Super Bowl that he was going to wear when they won. He never took it out. He never got back to the Super Bowl. He never won a Super Bowl. And after that, that was his only visit to the Super Bowl. And he'll talk about if you ever hear Dan Marino talk, he'll talk about that tuxedo is still hanging in his closet in the dry cleaning bag. He's never taken it out. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. So, I mean, there you go. I mean, it's if I could use this, I mean, because my team this year is, I mean, my first pick, Saquon Barkley. You know, injury, injury right. played yep. played the first year, and that, that's kind of leading me to my next question. You know, uh, what's the best type of league to be in? You know, is it a points league? Is it a head to head? Is it a you know what's what's your what's your goal? Like, if, if I'm going to try to start a league, I mean, and we've I've done them on Yahoo, I've done them on ESPN, I've done them on CBS Sports, I've done the old the old timey, you know, where I kept the stats. What's the best league? What's the most fun for you as a fantasy football guy? I like head to head. I think you need. I think eight is the minimum. I think once you get beyond twelve, it gets a little cumbersome. So I think 10, 12 guys is the ultimate ideal. Ten is a great number to have. Um, I like the head-to-head -head aspect of it. Um, 
there is the the notion of I, I think you should have something built in that if you have by the end of the season the most total points you need to get some money because technically you had the best team now right. you could you could have the second most points every week and never win and you could have the second fewest points every week and always win it just depends on who you might have a matchup against it could be you know a lot of it is luck yeah you really can't do anything about you you know you score 90 points but you played a guy that has 88 you get a win another guy scored 150 but he played a guy that had 180 and he loses and he's looking at you going you're one and oh why am i oh one <laughs> but I, you know i like the head-to-head aspect i like having you know maybe a two three week playoff i would always recommend don't ever go up to week 17 because right. you get a lot of teams that sit guys if they have a bye week coming up going into the playoffs where you get teams that are you know guys may just they're they're clocking out early i would always recommend having your championship by week 16. good advice to have i mean and you're right i mean uh, it's I'm, I'm six and eight on my league i'm done basically so i mean i'm just playing for shits and giggles now i mean my son's in first or second place my other son's in fourth place my wife and i were in a, we're, we're in the constellation round this year so i mean you know i i actually did some research and looked at players i, I got saquon barkley I, I got the third pick overall who's my dude and he played right. what, one week you know right so anywho in, injuries kill you and there's nothing you could do about it i mean if if, if they could get rid of injuries in the nf you know they got to fix instant replay there's way yeah. too many penalties penalties in every game the games are almost unwatchable at times just because they always blow the whistle there's always a stoppage every two seconds but the biggest thing is you know you get these injuries i had dak prescott i'm a cowboys fan i took dak early this year in the draft i identified him i even you know put some money on him to win the mvp and after two or three weeks i was feeling like he's into running and then shatters his ankle against the giants and you know the bet is gone my fantasy team is gone <laughs> my team is gone just in, in one fell swoop the whole season's over welcome to 2020. yeah right right <laughs> right so who are the surprise players for 2020 this year give me give me your some of your surprise guys that you think you know really came out of nowhere and, and are doing some things yeah there's definitely been you know you could you could name a lot of guys um so why don't I give you one of each from each of the major positions? You know, I'll give you a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver. These are guys that, you know, some of the names you've heard of, some are rookies. Um, the first one I would say, if you'd asked me three months ago who this was, I probably really couldn't even have told you. And that's James Robinson, running back for Jacksonville. Um, he's a top five running back, and probably you could have got him in your eighth, maybe tenth round of your drafts. It might have even fallen below that in some, in some fantasy drafts, kind of like Alvin Kamara a few years ago. And the guy's now a top five running back. He's on pace for, you know, 12 touchdowns, 50 catches, averaging more than 100 yards per game from scrimmage for a team that is not very good, but he's getting to rock a lot. So James Robinson, I would say, if you, if you were smart enough to draft him, you got some real value because he's a top five running back, which is which is a major thing to have. And, you know, he's a, he was an undrafted rookie. You know, he wasn't yeah. even interested. And here he is, number four back in the league, I think, in total yards. I mean, it's amazing. You know, Jack Myers are known for running backs, though, you know, so that's what I was going to say. And here's the thing. If you look back, you know, you look at Fred Taylor, you look at Maurice Jones, Drew, Maurice Jones, Drew specifically wore number 32 for one simple reason. He got drafted in the second round out of UCLA and 32 teams passed on him. So the guy had a chip on his shoulder saying, OK, I'm going to prove to all of you that you missed me. And he ends up being a really good fantasy running back for several years. You know, Kansas City is another one. Take a Kansas City running back, whether it's Larry Johnson, whether it's Priest Holmes, Jamal Charles. I mean, you look, there's been five, six, seven times when Kansas City running backs have been the top running back overall in fantasy football. So my first pick this year was that Edward Hilaire. Now he came out like 
gangbusters in week one and everybody wanted him. I probably should have traded him after week one because his stock was so high and he, <laughs> he kind of cooled off after that. This year you want, you know, you want the receivers on Kansas City. They're tearing it up. But as far as surprise players, I think James Robinson would be number one on my list. If I had to pick a quarterback, um, quarterback's a little trickier. You've had some injuries. You've had some guys that have really underperformed. Um, this isn't exactly a, a, a dark horse name, but I think Josh Allen for Buffalo. Some people, you know, he probably, again, could have got him mid to late rounds in your draft. The guy's a top three, top five quarterback. He does it with his legs. He does it with passing yards. Now he's got Stefan Diggs there. They just let the Steelers have it by going to Diggs on just about every pass the other night. He's got 34 touchdowns already, and Josh Allen is looking like the real deal up in Buffalo. Well, I mean, you know, I have Josh Allen on my team, He and he was my second quarterback I drafted. I drafted Roethlisberger first, thinking Roethlisberger was going to bounce back and have a big year. But, you know, watching the Steelers play the last couple of weeks, it's it's catch and throw, catch and throw, where Allen's throwing the ball deep to Diggs. And, like, I mean, Diggs put on a display on, on, on Sunday night. It was embarrassing for the Steelers. I mean, he we couldn't stop him, you know. So I played Allen. But I was also rooting for the Steelers, so it was like a double-edged sword for me. So, you know, I got the points. I still lost. I lost both the Steelers game and my fantasy game, but Allen's been a great – the only time I didn't play him this year was when he was on a bye. So, you know. And, and if you get a guy – if you get a quarterback that could run a little bit, you know, he gets you five, six, eight, maybe eight rushing touchdowns and, you know, 500 yards rushing. I mean, look at Lamar Jackson last year. Lamar Jackson had statistics that were better than some of the major running backs in the league. You know, 1,200 mm-hmm. yards rushing – 14 touchdowns, whatever he had exactly. And then on top of it, he threw for over 3,000 yards and, you know, 30 touchdowns in the air. So when right. you get when you get that dual threat quarterback, you know, you've hit pay dirt. That's just that's just money. You're going to win your league, most likely. And when his tummy's not upset, he's pretty damn good. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. somebody go get him from the toilet. We need to win this game. Fourth down, get in the game. What a game that was. Although I wasn't enjoying it because I had money on Cleveland in that game. You know, last time I ever bet Cleveland again. Yeah, that was your first mistake, dude. Yeah, first and last time there. And, and finally, if I had to pick one more, I would say, you know, from the wide receiver, and this is this might be the guy that going into next year that people are just going to salivate over, and especially if you're in a league where you can protect one guy that you drafted from the previous year and you can hold him over for next year, where you have some kind of franchise option, that would be Justin Jefferson, the receiver from the Vikings. And I, I know, And I know a lot of Eagle fans, a lot of my buddies are Eagle fans. My son is an Eagle fan, and it kills me to say that because I'm a Cowboys fan, but Ryan is an Eagles fan. That's all right. But, you know, the Eagles got to be looking and saying, you know, we missed on DK Metcalf two years ago in the draft. This year was a bumper crop of receivers. I'm a Cowboys fan. CeeDee Lamb, I was I was thrilled they got him. He's there on, you know, draft night snatching the phone from his girlfriend's hand when the, when the camera panned over to him. And he had Judy. And you had Henry Ruggs going to the Raiders. And then the, the Eagles are sitting there, and I'm going, well, they got to take Jefferson. You know, I've seen this guy play a little bit at LSU. They had the magical season. Him right. and Jamar Chase with, you know, Burrow last year. And they inexplicably passed on him. Well, Minnesota wasn't going to make that mistake. You know, Minnesota watched my Cowboys pass on Randy Moss, and they snatched him up. Right. They watched, you know, they watched the Eagles pass on Chris Carter after a couple of lackluster seasons, and all he does is catch touchdowns. All right, we'll take him, you know, sitting yeah, right. this way. So and you know Justin Jefferson is on pace 80 catches he's going to probably end up with 1300 yards double digit touchdowns looking at a top 5 receiver for a guy that again you could have probably had 8th round 10th round depending on you know how many guys were in your league and and what kind of uh, value was placed on him but definitely a, a a very welcome surprise to Viking fans well, I mean, my youngest son, Grant, has Jefferson on his team, and he picked him up off the waiver wire, like just like no one even drafted him. 
he was an exactly. undrafted rookie. You know, so it's one of those things, the diamond in the rough. I mean, maybe I should let my kids run my team because, I mean, they're both doing a lot better than I am. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. So let, let's, let's flip the coin. Give me your busts this year. I think if you talk about busts, we kind of hit on this before. You know, it, it always – there's nothing you can do about injuries, but I think it, it's at least worth noting that – probably two of the top three players and arguably probably the top two guys going into the draft this year are both out and have basically only touched the ball a handful of times. That's Christian McCaffrey, who I had last year, who was by far the best player in fantasy football. Saquon Barkley, like you alluded to before. You got Dak Prescott, Galladay, Michael Thomas, all these top guys that were, you know, top at their position last year, and they just didn't play very much this year. You know, McCaffrey had one of the epic seasons last year, I, I have a piece in the book where I talk about running backs that hit the magical plateau of 2,000 total yards and 20 touchdowns. And it doesn't happen often. And he came real close to it last year. He just missed it. But if you can find that guy that's going to hit 2,000 yards from scrimmage and 20 touchdowns, they come along once in a while, whether it's Marshall Falk, whether it's Priest Holmes doing it. If you can hit up, hit upon that guy, you got you got a good chance to win your league. McCaffrey was right there last year. Probably would have been there this year, but he's hurt. Right. So you got to look at the injuries. I think for guys that they can't use injuries as an excuse that have been a bust. And I'll take I'll take a shot at my own guy. You know, feed me, feed me. But Zeke is not doing it for Dallas. He's he's averaging less than four yards a carry. He's not even a top ten running back. And most likely in every draft he was picked in the top three, five at the latest. I would say. But he just looks slow. He just he, he looks uninspired. And I understand part of it is, you know, Rain Dakota Prescott is not leading the team anymore, but somebody's got to step it up. And right now, you know, t- got a backup like Tony Pollard is actually running with a little more, you know, energy than than Zeke is. Well, Zeke's too worried about running into the woods with the rest of the Ewoks, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he does have a shirt with his half shirt on, too. Half shirt Ewok. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it kills me to say it because I and, and when and when Dallas drafted him, I said to my son, we were watching a draft because I'm a huge draft guy. It's literally my favorite sports night of the year is to watch the first night of the NFL draft. Goodell comes out, gets booed to hell, and I love it. And anyway, we're t- and, and when he got drafted, I said, Ryan, this guy has no weaknesses except one up in his head and in his heart and off the field issues. He he might he skill wise on the on the on the field, he's he's without you know without peer but i always worried that he just doesn't have his head screwed on straight his heart might not be in it and now that he's got big money we're starting to kind of see that he's not really he was he was much better as a rookie his best season was his rookie year by far right i gotcha well i mean i'm not a cowboys fan and i get i get what you're saying i mean my wife had zeke and she she stopped playing him you know and uh you know i'm a big madden guy and i've every time i've last couple seasons i run with madden i always picked up tony pollard as my backup running back you know, he I got him from the from the Cowboys uh, Steelers trade when I was running my season with the Steelers early on. I picked up Tony Pollard as my backup because he's he's a solid backup. You know, he runs hard. So, you know, it's those diamonds in the rough. So let's talk about this ultimate league. Like, tell me what this ultimate league that you created with your in your in your book. So basically, I took a look at you know we looked at every like I said every season from 1970 right up to the the current season, and what I do is identify a first team all fantasy second team and then an honorable mention and it's basically looking at who would be the ultimate fantasy football team to have for that season so you could pick any season you know 1994 steve young emmett smith barry sanders jerry rice sterling sharp of the packers 
Ben Coates, Chris Warren would have been your running back at your flex position. Those were the top scorers. So it's really a, a fun way to look back at some of these seasons anywhere from 1970 right up to the current one. If we look right. at this, if we look at this current year, you know, it's dotted with guys that the names you would expect and the one team that's dominating it they'd expect would be the Kansas City Chiefs. So we take a look at the ultimate fantasy team, the first team all fantasy, as I call it in the book, right now. And there's still some games to be played, so we're not official yet. But the quarterback would be Patrick Mahomes. He's had 25 or more points in every week except two, and he's actually hit the 50-point plateau a couple times. So he's had some huge games. Your running backs, you'd have Dalvin Cook and Travis Henry, or excuse me, Derrick Henry. Receivers, by far the two best receivers this year have been Tyreek Hill. And Devontae Adams, I mean, Devontae Adams has missed a couple games with injuries, and yet the guy still has 14 touchdowns with a handful of games to play still. Right. Now, tight end, by far the, the best value in terms of comparative value against other people at their position, which is important to consider. We'll come back to that in a second. But Travis Kelsey, I mean, the guy's leading the league in receiving yards as a tight end and basically never seems to have a bad game. And... Travis Kelsey is an interesting guy to look at because while he might fall to the second, third, even fourth round in some drafts, he's actually worthy of a top five pick when you consider he's that much better than every other tight end. So you're going into every week with a five, six, eight point advantage at a position. You also get the added advantage. Usually you don't play more than one tight end. You know, And right. if you have him, you don't even have to roster more than one tight end, except when he has his bye week, you just take a flyer on somebody for that one week. Otherwise, you just have Travis Kelsey, you plug him in, and you never have to waste another roster spot, and you can use it on taking a flyer on a young running back, another backup quarterback, stack some defenses, you know, looking ahead. So Travis Kelsey is, you know, in a way has been a fantasy MVP this year just be just because he's so much better than every other tight end. That's awesome. Who's the best defense in the league in terms of stats? Do you right think? Now, right now this year it's the Steelers. And you know, we right. got some we got some friends and there's been a lot out there on Facebook, a bunch of your bunch of your Teak brothers out there talking about how, you know, black and gold nation are all quiet on the Western front and they played a soft schedule. I, I find it amazing that Eagle fans with their one Super Bowl victory take shots at their in-state, you know, between the shots they take at Cowboys, we have five. The shots they take at the Steelers, you guys have six. You know, the Eagles just finally made it to the, the adult table for Thanksgiving. They were at the kiddie table for a long time. <laughs> yet they get their one, and now, you know, they, they take right. shots at the Steelers. So it, it is. The Steelers it's have been a top defense. But, you know, I, I think with defense chats, I think I think the key is you look at week to week, you look at matchups. There is no great defense. There's no 2,000 Ravens. There's no 85 Bears out there. So I think it's important to take a look at, you know, who they play in, what are the weather conditions, who's on the road, who's got, you know, a couple of weeks ago when the Saints played Denver and Denver was, you know, signed the guy off the streets to play quarterback because everybody had COVID and was ineligible to play. Plug the Saints in for that week. But you can go week to week with defenses. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the the, the the Patriots last week, two weeks ago, they had a punt return for a touchdown. They blocked a kick. I mean, they, you know, Bill Belichick, that he is the architect, you know, and I'm sure you're going to talk more about Bill Belichick later. I mean, he's just such a central figure to the league. I mean, I know he's the evil empire, but I mean, they've won six Super Bowls for a reason. You know, yeah. you can't go wrong with the Patriots defense. I mean, that's just, uh, in my opinion, I mean, I'm not a Patriots fan, but I've always, if I can pick them up as a defense, I'm going to take the Steelers, Panthers, or the Patriots. And that's just, you know, how I feel about it. So, so that's your ultimate league. What else do you want to tell us about the book before we switch gears here, Craig? 
So the book we're looking at, I went a little bit different route with the publishing this time. The last, for my baseball book, I used, uh, you know, had a nice contract and, and, and did some work with McGraw-Hill, who's a big publisher. But ultimately, I felt like there was no there was no mom and pop aspect to it. In other words, you were just a number. You were just another author. It was just another book. There was no personalization. There was no plan to sell it. And it's a lot harder to sell a book than it is to write a book. Um, mm. So I, I, I tried to go a little bit different route this time. So the publisher's Covenant Books down out of Charleston, South Carolina, a little smaller scale, a um, little more you know intimate. They get to know the authors. They find out what makes them tick and try to get to know you personally and figure out how we can sell your individual book. And they have a, a good social media platform and they have, you know, they're going to do a 30 second trailer on the book that then I can copy and paste and send out to everybody I know and ask them to send links out and it links up right to the website. So people can buy either a, a hardcover version of the book. They can buy the electronic version of the book, just have it downloaded to their phone. And again, we're not, you know, we're not curing cancer here. We're not solving world peace issues. It's, it's, it's the toy department. It's the fluff stuff, but it is fun. And it's, it's something you can share with your kids and with your buddies as you're all hanging out and talk about some fantasy football and NFL history all in one big package. I like it. I like it a lot, man. Well, that's awesome. Now we're going to switch gears, Craig, and we're going to keep on rolling here. I mean, everything's going well. So let's switch gears and something that, you know, we've talked about, we, something we've been doing for a while with this is, is, and I'm not very good at this because I, I hate to lose. You know, I'm but I really hate to lose money, you know. So let's talk about sports betting because really fantasy football is nothing more than gambling, really. I mean, you know, I, I, my league that I'm playing in now is free. We're just doing it for shits and giggles. You know, but there's some leagues that are pretty high end. You know, what, what do you think about that? These leagues that are so daggum expensive to get us like a $500 buy-in. I mean, how do you feel yeah. about that? I mean, I mean, it, it, when when you win it, you got you know thousands of dollars coming your way. You feel good about it. When you when your quarterback and your you know tight end get hurt in week one, and you, you're out five hundred bucks to then just get your butt kicked every week, it sucks. I'm I'm the same way. I do not like losing, and I really hate losing money. Um, but you're right. Fantasy football is just a form of of betting, and between standardized betting, between the you know weekly survivor pools between fantasy football i mean nfl has the market cornered on guys that want to spend money and then sit back and just you know watch the money either roll in or roll out every sunday i know a lot of guys i mean they bet just about every single game they bet three games on thanksgiving they bet every playoff game they run the gamut every sunday and you know usually starts you know saturday with the all the college games and they roll it right into sunday I like to I like to dabble once in a while and throw a bet out there, but you know, like you said, I I don't like seeing my money go out the window after three hours, so I'm I'm a little more on the cautious side. But it is always interesting to look at where sports betting is now compared to where it was even just a few years ago, because with the technology and everything on the internet, there's some really crazy stuff going on with with how you can bet these games. I mean, you know, when we were in college. We 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 knew a guy that took bets, and you know, we'd put in twenty five dollar bet. You know, give me Alabama plus two, and give me the Titans, or actually the Oilers back then. Give me the Oilers minus yeah. six. You know, and stuff like that. So it's it's come a long way. It's so. I mean, what's the best way? Is having a bookie better than having online, or what's the what's the advantages? Or give me like one advantage of each. You know, I personally. Difference. 
I personally use DraftKings. I like DraftKings a lot, and I've had a couple friends who you know bet a lot more than I do, and know and know stuff about betting a lot more than I do, a lot better than I do. And they they've all said you know DraftKings is is where it's at. And I've had very good experience. They give you good prop bets. They give you some you know free plays to get started. It's a very organized system. You you see your your money get credited to you right away within five minutes of the game being over. So you get your money credited to you.、Um, I've never really. I've used a bookie a couple times with some friends. We've dabbled in some stuff. I mean, the advantage of a bookie, if you know a guy, you know everybody. I know a guy from around the corner. They might be able to extend credit to you, where you can, you know, hey, give me a couple days. Let me get a couple more bets in. Let me see if I can hit on the Monday night game and you know make up for a bad weekend. With the online online sites or you know sports book in Vegas, you got to put the money up front. Because they otherwise, you know, they know you're not coming back in to be the right, the, the nice guy to pay up. You're out the door, right?、Um, they're, they're not coming to find you like the bookie might be. But I think there's, I think there's advantages each way.、Um, I, th- I think one of the craziest things is just the, the in-game betting and that how much that has changed. That you can literally bet games up until almost the last couple minutes, whether it's the spread, the money line, and over/under. I mean. After every play, if you sit there and watch on your phone, you're going to see the, the the betting lines just reset, and you could literally almost bet play by play, which is can be a very fun way to do things, especially if you feel like you know I got my finger on the pulse of this game, and my team might be down 14 to three, but I know they're coming back, and all of a sudden you can make some easy money, and you're just watching football for a couple hours. Right. I mean, I remember back in the old days. Hey, you got to get your bet in by 12:50, so so it gets put down in the book, you know. And one time, I actually had to answer the phones for this guy and take the bets, and I was kind of like, "This is crazy." I mean, you know, writing down like you know, Minnesota Vikings plus six and for twenty-five dollars, Jim and whatever, you know. And that's now, like you said, you go to DraftKings. I've never used DraftKings, so maybe that's something I need to look into. But you know, I, I know a story. You know, I, I remember a guy in college that he lost his shirt on Saturday, like college. He took a bath, like every game he. He bet he, it turned to crap,、right. and then he came back on Sunday and won it all back, making him even. But he still had to pay like the fifty dollar vig after the end of the day. But I mean, he lost his shirt on Saturday and made it back up on Sunday. So、sure. I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I that's a lot of stress in my life. Yeah, it, it it takes some guts. I mean, I had a friend who used to say he used to map it out and say the one o'clock Saturday games, the four o'clock, the eight o'clock, and then the three rounds of games on Sunday, right up to Monday night. You got seven rounds of games, and even if you lose, if you just double your bet every time and add another fifty bucks, well, eventually, you know, his 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 theory was eventually you're going to win and you're going to eventually get your money back. But it takes a big gamble, you know, when you're zero for six and now you're throwing extra money on that game seven, hoping it comes through. You know, you're not down to a coin toss anymore. You're, you're you're gambling with a lot of money. I have a funny story. We talk about Lindbrook. There was five of us living in 34B. As you're talking about, you know, betting stories and st- guys in college. We had a buddy, and this was like you said. There was no cell phones. There was no internet. You know, you got a couple guys might have had some beepers and pagers and stuff like that. But basically, you were just you know, you had to call your bet in. They would call you to confirm. You know, 10 minutes before the start of kickoff and say, here's what the final line was. Vegas might have moved it. One way or the other, a little bit. Well, anyway, he was taken. I think it was like the Chiefs minus six and a half. He said, "You know, I got to go to work. When they call up, as long as the line doesn't move too much, take the bet for me." You know, and he put a lot of money on this game. This dude was betting like I think he bet like five hundred bucks on the game, which to me nowadays is a lot of money. To a twenty-year-old、yeah. college kid, you know, twenty years ago was a ton of money. Right. So anyway, we get the call. We're all sitting around, and the bookie calls about fifteen minutes before kickoff and said, "Look, the line moved from six and a half to seven. Do you still want it?" 
And we said, look, the only way he loses is if the Chiefs win by exactly seven points and then he just pushes. If, if it would have went to seven and a half, it would have went to eight. We would have said, no, don't take it because it's not our money to, to mess around with. But we said, yeah, sure. Well, sure enough, the Chiefs win the game, you know, 24-17 or whatever it is. He's thinking, I got it at minus six and a half. I just covered and I just won 500 bucks. He comes back in the apartment and we got to tell him, dude, the line changed at the last minute. You didn't lose, but you pushed, which when you're thinking you won, a push is a loss. So he ended up at zero when he thought he was going to be up 500 bucks, but there was nothing we could do. We said, look, man, if we didn't take the bet and they would have won 34 to 10, you would have killed us for not taking the, the extra half point. Right. So. So, you know, the, the betting aspect of it definitely lends itself to some funny stories. And yeah, you have to take the wins and the losses because you definitely get, you know, you're going to you're going to probably lose more than you win unless you're really good. I hear you. All right. So now I, I'm a first time better. I'm a rookie better. And really, I am. I haven't really bet in a long time. Give me some betting strategies. What's, what's a good strategy for me to go in? You know, this Saturday is a big weekend in college football. There's like 11 conference championships. You know, we're going to talk about a few here in a second. But, you know, give me give me some betting strategies. So I would say, you know, one of the things I try to look at just in general, whether you're betting college, whether you're betting pro, whether you're betting baseball, whether you're betting over-unders, I think it comes down to don't overthink it, but also don't underthink it. And here's what I mean by that. The, the best bets I make are when I, I, I sit there, I look at some lines, I look at the games, and something will just kind of jump out at me. And I say, hmm, that looks really good. I might think about it for a minute or two. I might check a couple stats or an injury report. And then you make your decision right then and there. It's when you you analyze it, you overanalyze it, you're almost trying to sell yourself on some team, and then you put a bet, and then, you know, they crap the bet on you, and you're like, well, how did they not cover? Well, you know, it, it was just, it was a bad bet. You probably overthought it. You forced the issue. And the other thing is you underthink it. You might win three or four in a row, and now you're thinking, hey, I'm never going to lose. I can do, you know, 14 parlays. I'm going to put money on this. And all of a sudden, you give your money right back. Like you said, your buddy had one bad Saturday, you, you could give give everything back in no time at all. So I think you don't want to think too much about it, but you got to put a little bit of thought into it at least. It's kind of like, you know, the analogy Mike Francesi used to talk about. He's a famous sports talk show host up in New York City. The, origina- the originator, Mike and a Mad Dog, kind of started sports broadcast, sports talk show broadcasting. And he used to say, you know, if you had to think about whether a guy was a Hall of Famer, if you had to think about it for more than about 10 seconds, he's not a Hall of Famer. And it's the same kind of thing. If you're going to sit there and really analyze the bets that much, you should probably get off that game and get to something that kind of jumps out at you. I found that's usually the best way. Um, but even then, you're going to probably, you know, if you're breaking even or making a little bit extra, you're doing pretty well because most guys end up losing. I hear you. Well, I mean, so like, do you like to do the parlays? Like, give me, what's the last latest parlay you've done? Like, like is this something like you stay away from parlays? Are you a one game? Uh, you talked about like, we're going to talk about the money line, which is new to me. You, it's been around for a while, but it, I don't know, understand it. But like, what's your favorite? You'd like to do the money line, like do the over under, the straight bet, the parlays. What's your, what's your go-to bet? I, I don't think there's any, I think it depends, you know, just like, look, we're both in education. It's like saying, well, how do you teach? Well, it depends on the kid in many ways. You know, if you know your students and you know which buttons to push and you can differentiate it, I think it's the same with betting. So sometimes if, you know, an over-under looks good, I'm going to take it. If the money line seems like, hey, there's an opportunity here and I, you know, a team's getting six or seven points, but I think they're going to win the game outright, I might not even worry about betting the spread. I might just take them on the money line because that $100 bet might turn into a $350 profit. Whereas if I just bet $100 with the spread, 
they don't have to win the game, but I'm also only making even money on it. Um, right. The same is also true if, you know, like let's say Alabama's playing Florida this this weekend. You might be a big Bama guy, but they have a big number they have to cover. They're, you know, looking at a 17, 17 point, you know, swing that they got to cover. You might feel really good just to say, hey, I'm going to put a bunch of money on them just to win the game. Now you're not getting a big payday from that, but it is kind of like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to make 10, 15% return on investment just to sit back, have a couple beers and watch Alabama, you know, blow Florida out. You just then worry about, you know, if they're, if you're betting the spread, you always worry about the backdoor cover. Right. Which is, you know, the team is, you're a Steelers fan, they're playing the Cincinnati Bengals, let's say. And they're, they're, they're giving this, this Monday night, they're playing the Bengals. They're giving them 10 points, and they're, they're housing them all game. It's 30 to 7, and all of a sudden, you know, a late pick six, somebody runs back a punt, they opt not to go for a field goal, and they end up getting a, a, a cheap touchdown with 12 seconds left in the game, and the Steelers don't care because they're winning, and all of a sudden, they win the game 30 to 23, and you just lost your bet because they, they didn't cover at the last minute. So the backdoor cover kills you. The money line will prevent that. But then again, if you're betting the favorite, you're not getting as much bang for your buck, so to speak. It is a little bit of a safer option at times. It just, it really depends on each and every game. I don't think there's one overall way to look at it. I think something I look at when it comes to NFL games that is a little, little interesting or unique, I think travel is a big aspect to consider. In other words, if you have a team coming from the West Coast and they're playing a one o'clock game in, let's say, Tampa Bay, well, to them, it's really 10 o'clock in the morning still. And they might have just flown in the night before. They got jet lag or they got what? If a team's not 100% ready to play, even if they're at 98% capacity, that little 2% difference might be just enough where, you know, that turn, that translates into a 10-point loss. I think travel is big in the NFL. I think looking at the weather is important. Obviously, injuries are going to play a big role. But Vegas is going to definitely, they're going to shift the lines back and forth based on those injuries. But there are some other aspects you can look at, you know, especially in the NFL, because there is such a fine line between winning and losing there. I got you. So let's let's go back to a game this weekend. Florida LSU. Okay. I don't even know what the line was of that Florida LSU game. You know, everyone, Florida had to be a probably a double digit favorite, I'm assuming. You know, and then they had that dude throw the cleat on fourth down or whatever and cause them to lose the game and basically cost them their season. I mean, who wins in that situation? Is Vegas happy when stuff like that happens? Like, well, the bookies and DraftKings, they they make more money when something crazy like that happens or they pay out more? It just depends on how people bet. I mean, ultimately, if you asked Vegas, I think they'd probably tell you if we could have 50, if, for every single game, if we could have 50% of the people bet one team and 50% of the people bet the other team, they'd be very happy because then they know they're clearing 10% or whatever the whatever their commission is, so to speak, whatever the vigorish is on top of that. There's no risk to them because it's 50% each way and they know they're clearing 10% profit. Then they're just worried about, you know, getting as much volume as possible. And it's a very easy way. They're almost printing money at that point. You bring up, you bring up that Florida game and that game pissed me off. And here's why I had, I really liked army because they were playing at home. First time that game was not played on a neutral site and like since World War II, I think. Right. They were playing Navy. I felt like this was the one year Army might actually get back at Navy. So I bet I, I took Army. I also liked USC. And I told, told our buddy Pearl, who's a big USC fan, I said, I think they're the best team in the country that nobody's talking about right now because they haven't played that many games. So I took, I took them in a parlay. And then at the last second, I said, you know what, just to sweeten the pot a little bit, let me take Florida. And like you said, they were, I think, like a 14-point favorite, maybe even a little bit more against LSU. LSU's having a down season. 
and I didn't feel confident about the taking them on a spread, so I took them on the money line because I figured they got the SEC championship game cut up. There's no way they're going to lose to LSU. It might be close, but they're going to pull this one out. And they were about to, and they stop LSU on a third and long, about to get them off the field, and some slot corner on Florida takes a guy's cleat and chucks it halfway down the field, gets a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty. LSU gets a first down. They get new life. They kick a 57-yarder a couple minutes later. And Florida just misses a 52-yarder that would have tied the game. And that totally screwed up my parlay. And once again, that was a last-second knee-jerk reaction. Oh, let me let me get greedy and throw one more team on the parlay. And it actually wrecked my entire – it would have been a winning bet. And I ended up losing the entire bet because of that one play. So that right. was frustrating. I got, I got you. So what do you like to bet the most, pro or college? I'm a pro guy just because I know the team's better. Um, I know a lot of people like colleges. They like the crazy spreads. You know, you get a team that might be favored by 30 points. And look at Al- Alabama, Florida this week. I think we were talking a little bit the other day off the air and stuff. And over under is like 75 points in that game. It's 74 and a half. 74 and a half points. Yeah, that's a lot of points. That's crazy. I mean, I, and look, they're going to score. There's no doubt. Both teams can score and go up and down the field. But you you might be watching for two and a half hours before you even come close to getting to 75 points. You know, they can win 45 to 28, and you didn't right. cover. <laughs> yeah. The under, the under hit. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, I would be, I'd be a little leery about taking Florida. I think after after they got, you know, a self-inflicted shot to the solar plexus last week against LSU, where their season literally went down the drain in about a 30-second time frame, I don't see them having any chance against Alabama. I didn't think they'd probably have much chance to win the game. I could see them really not even showing up. I think that could be a 45-17 kind of laugher. Uh, but even but even again, that, that's not going to even come close to covering it to get me over. So be careful there. I got you. Now, here's another college game, and, and there's a bunch we could talk about, but I don't want to take up more of your time. Uh, this, this is a game that really has me perplexed. Notre Dame-Clemson, okay? Notre Dame is the number two seed in the college football playoffs right now. And I've watched Notre Dame. Their defense is fast. They're aggressive. They are a 10-point underdog to Clemson who's the, right. the number three seed. I mean, how does that make sense where the the, the quote-unquote better team is a, is a double-digit 10.5-point underdog? How is that How is that possible? I'm not sure they're the better team. you got to remember, Notre Dame beat Clemson earlier in the year, which is why they're now ranked ahead of them, which they deserve to be. They, they won the game. They're, they deserve to be ranked ahead of them. But, you know, remember, Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence in that game. They're, you know, top quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is going to come out be the number one pick. No matter who gets that pick, he's going to be the probably just about the highest rated prospect to come out of college since John Elway. Um, they get him back now, so I think Clemson is, you know, now they're now they're fully tooled. They got the best quarterback in college. They got arguably the best running back in college, and Travis Etienne. And they have maybe you know one of the uh, uh, hard, be hard to say he's the best coach. I can't say he's the best coach because you know you got Saban and Bama, but Dabo Sweeney's got that team. You know they got a program that rivals Alabama, and really nobody else can say that. So I think right. Clemson is. I, I would if I was picking that game, I would. I think Clemson is going to win. I'm not sure they're going to cover, and I'm not sure if it's a ten or ten and a half. That's starting to get up there. Once you start getting into double digits, um, that might be a game where you might actually say, hey, "I'm going to take Clemson." either on the money line or I'm going to take Notre Dame plus the points. And you got a nice little cushion there. You know, they win 24 to 21 or something like that. You could actually parlay it, win on both sides. 
Oh, okay. So t- tell me about this money line. I-, I don't really get what this, I see the pluses and the minuses. I-, I never knew what that was until you explained it to me. So give me a quick definition of what the money line is. So if you bet the money line, you're basically, there is no spread. You're just betting on who's going to win the game. And obviously, if it was, you know, everybody would bet Alabama all the time then because they never lose. Or you're going to bet the New England Patriots back in the day. You're going to bet the best team. The problem with the money line then is you're get if you're if you're betting on the favorite, you're getting much lower odds. So it's all based on hundred dollar ratios. So if let's say in the game one team is plus one fifty five, another team is minus one eighty five. The mm-hmm. plus, if you remember, the plus is always the underdog. Like a okay. team is getting points. The minus is always the favorite. So under that scenario, let's say a team is plus 155. That means they're the underdog. They're probably about a four, maybe five point underdog in the game. On the money line, if you bet $100 on them, and if they win, you win 155. So you're actually getting more bang for your buck. But the downside is they got to win the game outright. They can't just cover. You can't get a backdoor cover. You need them to win the game. If you're betting the favorite, the advantage is they don't have to cover. They could win by one point. They just got to win the game, which they have a good chance of. But if they're at, let's say, minus 185, you got to risk $185 just to win 100. Okay. And you're going to see some, you're going to see something that actually will say, you know, minus 1,000, minus 1,350. That means you got to risk a whole bunch of money just to win a little bit, but you're also getting a very safe bet. You know, if, if Alabama's playing, you know, Mississippi State and they're a 27 point favorite, they might not cover the spread, but you might think, well, I can I can throw some money on them, get a 15% return on my investment, just sit back and chill and watch the game and, you know, cash in at the end. But well, I'm, looking is, right now. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it can, it can be a little riskier, though, because, you know, you got to you got to put up the money to win it. So it can be a little riskier right now. As of as of, as we're recording this, Alabama's a 590 open minus 590 Florida's plus 350. So that means you have to bet $590 to win $100 on Alabama to win the game. Conversely, you can bet $100 on Florida to win the game. And what you say the number was 380? 350. 350. So if you bet $100 and Florida wins the game, you win 350. And if you notice, the minus number is always bigger than the plus number. Mm-hmm. For one simple reason. Vegas is not, and the bookies and the sports books are not in business to lose money. So with that 100-point you know, turn around with the ratio, they're always in line to to make more. And that's, again, why they would they would love to see half the people bet Florida, half the people bet Alabama, and then they're, they're just going to take their 10% off the top and have no risk whatsoever, and then just try to build up as much volume and make as much money that way. According to DraftKings, it's my it's negative 770 for Alabama, plus 480 for Florida. But each different, like Golden Nuggets, a different number. William Hill's a different number. Win bet, sports betting, bet MGM. So, I mean, you just look for the best deal you can get. Like this VI consensus yeah. is negative 900 and plus 600. You know, and, so. I would, and I would say this, look at the team first. Don't go out scouting and shopping for some number. You know, it all comes down to the guys on the field. So if you like Alabama, Go with Alabama, then find the best Alabama number you can. Don't go looking for a number for some random team thinking right. that you're going to hit. You know, look at it from the, the the football perspective and then, you know, where's the best betting I can get? Not, you know, just looking to make money because you got to be really good if you decide, hey, this is going to be my full-time job, uh, just betting games. You know, be careful there because you, <laughs> you might be unemployed in about two weeks. 
Well, I mean, I really like Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is, you know, playing Tulsa this week. And, you know, I see negative 588, negative 700, negative, you know, I like Cincinnati. I think they're going to beat Tulsa. Cincinnati's a very overlooked team, but, you know, so I'm just going to keep an eye on this and, you know, maybe do some paper bets where it's not going to cost me any money just to see how I really do on these. So. Yeah. And the good so, thing about it, if you go onto a site like DraftKings, you can bet as little as like ten cents on a game. You can bet a dollar. You can bet two fifty. You could bet, you know, small amounts just to keep it fun and just to kind of track. Hey, if I would be betting, you know, twenty bucks a game, a hundred bucks a game, where would I actually be? But you don't have to risk that much. You can put twenty dollars down and just have a fun weekend. And if you're right. out twenty bucks, so be it. And maybe you're up twenty bucks by the end. I gotcha. And what's the craziest thing you've ever bet on? I mean, you can bet anything. And like I said, the way it is now with technology, you can literally bet. The other, on Sunday, I, I took, I got it in at the last second. Washington was playing San Francisco. Washington started the game. I think they were five or six point underdog. And I tuned the game in. There was about three minutes left. Washington was up, I believe it was 23 to 15. I think they were up eight points. San Francisco had the ball about midfield. And I snuck in a quick money line bet on Washington. Now, the odds weren't great. You're only getting about a 20% return on investment. But I felt like at that point, Washington's not losing this game. All they need is one final stand. You know, San Francisco is going to have to go halfway down the field. They got to get the touchdown. They got to get the two-point conversion. That only ties the game. The odds are stacked way against them. So I threw, I don't know, 30, 40 bucks, whatever it was, on Washington to win the game. Got about a 15% return on that. And it was, you know, it, it was a bet made with literally two and a half minutes left to go in the game. So it used to be, you know, you called your bet in before the game, you sat there and you watched, and at the end of the game, you found out if you, you win or lose. Now the, you can bet at literally almost play by play as the game goes on. And if wow. you're on a site like DraftKings, you can bet ultimate fighting, you can bet different soccer leagues, different basketball leagues in Europe. You can you can actually bet table tennis in Moscow, the, the Liga Pro Ping Pong League in Russia, that's out of that's out of Moscow, and you can almost bet it point by point. You don't know who the hell these guys are, but I guess if you follow Russian ping pong, Ivan you know, Putty versus Boris Koloff, you know, <laughs> get get a little wrestling in there too. You know, yeah, they, they got everything out there. I mean, there's there's some interesting conference games coming up. I'm not a huge college guy. I, I like pros better, but you know, when it comes down to conference title games and the bowl games and the the college playoff, I mean, there's definitely some interesting games out there that should be good to watch and good to bet as well. I got gotcha. you. Let's let's wrap this up a little bit. Um, what's your biggest upset win or a, a, a bet you made? Like you didn't think you're going to have a cover there, and, and you did really. And you got and you won big on it, but maybe not. I say big, like you're winning thousands of dollars. You know, Diamond Jim Brady over here. But I mean, you know, what's your? <laughs> so, so one of the bigger bets I made. I'm trying to think back. Um, probably, you know, when when the first time that the pet the the Pats played the Rams Super Bowl whatever it was 36 or something like that back in 2001, I remember going into that thinking they got Belichick. Last time Belichick was up against a team like this, he was the D coordinator for the Giants. They played that, you know, the 90 Bills team with Thurman Thomas and Andre Reid and Jim Kelly, and they 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 locked them down. They just ran the ball, they killed the clock, and they ended up, you know, winning the game, and it was low scoring. So I ended up betting in that game. I bet the I took a part two team part two leg parlay. I took the Patriots to cover. They were getting maybe six or seven points, and then I took the under. And I forget what it was, maybe 45 points or whatever it was at the time. I bet eh, a couple hundred bucks, you know, stood to win maybe 500 total because on a parlay, you know, you got to win. You got to win every aspect of it, but that also boosts up the odds. Well, anyway, they come out and 
they're doing their pregame introductions and the Rams go first. And here comes, you know, greatest show on turf. And they're announcing the guys individually. Ricky Prohl, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, Marshall Falk, Orlando Pace, Kurt Warner. And I'm sitting there looking, going, I can't believe I bet against. Not only did I bet against this team, I'm taking the under. They're probably going to score 50 points by themselves at halftime. And I'm thinking, I just threw away 200 bucks or whatever it was. And then here come the Patriots at, standing in the tunnel, getting ready for their introductions. And the announcer comes on. I don't know if you remember this, but they they said, and electing to be announced and introduced as an entire team, the New England Patriots. They didn't announce a single player individually. They ran out with their offense, their defense, their special teams, their coaches, their trainers. Everybody came out en masse as the New England Patriots. And I said, huh, that's different. Maybe they got something here. And sure enough, I think the score was... What was it, 2017 or something like that? 23-17. And the Patriots won. And the under hit. So, you know, hit hit on both legs of the parlay. And more importantly, in terms of NFL history, that was that was the dawn of the of the Belichick Brady era uh, as we kicked in the 2000s. And, you know, they've been going strong for 20 years. Well, now Brady's in Tampa Bay, but you know, they ended up with what, six, six Super Bowls between them and Seemed right. to be in, it seemed to be in the playoffs every year, won a division every year, and constantly in the AFC Championship game. Unparalleled success. And, and just think that the Browns fired Belichick and Nick Saban. They're both yeah. on the same side. Nick Saban was Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator in Cleveland, and they all got fired. Can you imagine that they're kicking themselves in the ass right now? I got one better for you. If you go back far enough and, and doing this book and looking back at NFL history, if you look back at the Giants in the 50s and 60s and whatever it was, the Giants had two coordinators, one for offense, one for defense. The offensive coordinator was a guy by the name of Vince Lombardi, and their defensive coordinator was Tom Landry. And they let them both get out the door. You know, obviously Lombardi went to Green Bay, probably the greatest coach ever. Tom Landry went to Dallas and was, you know, inches away on, he, he, he could have easily won five or six championships, you know, between the Ice Bowl and the Montana to Dwight Clark catch. I mean, the Steelers, you know, the t- Jackie Smith dropping a touchdown in the in the in the end zone. He was inches away from. He won two. He could, could have easily won five or six. Two of the great coaches of all time. Two guys that are probably on Mount Rushmore. The Giants right. had them both and let them both get out the door. So that's that's even worse than what Cleveland did. <laughs> I hear you. So give, give me before we wrap it up, dude. Give me your give me your um, predictions. College playoffs first. Who's gonna win it all? Well, this is probably a boring pick, but I mean, it's I, I can't see it going any other way. I've watched you know a lot of games this year, and I've seen a lot of teams up and down. The one team that never seems to be down is Alabama. I just don't think that anybody's going to beat them this year. I think they have the talent on both sides of the ball. I think Nick Saban is hungry to get another championship. I think he might be tied with Bear Bryant right now. I think and, you're you know, right. It's, it, it's amazing if he if he wins another one where you can actually say Bear Bryant is the second winningest coach at Alabama. I mean, just just stop and pause and think about that for a second. When you think what, if, if and you, I know you've lived in Alabama, so you can speak to it much better than I can. You know, Bear Bryant is an absolute legend down there mm-hmm. with the tweed coat and the hat, and, you know, the <laughs> Junction Boys and all that stuff. And I mean, he's a god down in Alabama. And for him to be number two on the championship list just tells you what Saban has done. And I think it's going to be Alabama's year. So it's not a sexy pick. It's not a fun pick, but I just don't see anybody beating him. I got you. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. All right, let's go to pros. Who's in the Super Bowl this year? I'd have a hard time betting against the Chiefs. I mean, I think the Bills are good. I think they might 
they might still be a year or a player away. I think the Chiefs are just, you know, they're just rolling their offense. We talked about the ultimate fantasy team this year. You got the best quarterback. You got the best receiver. You got the best tight end. And you got good complementary pieces all around them. And they're scary. So, you know, I think I think the Titans could maybe give them a little bit of a scare if they can control the ball with Derrick Henry running it. But ultimately, I would think the Chiefs are going to be back in the Super Bowl. I think the NFC is a little bit more wide open. I'm not huge on the Saints. I think the Saints actually have a better defense than an offense this year. I'm not sure. I think the Saints are lacking a little bit of an identity. You know, when Breeze comes back, who, who are they going to play if Breeze is healthy and ready to go? Is it Breeze? Is it Taysom Hill? We know it's not Jameis Winston, but, you know, he's he's, he's over there eating crab legs on the sidelines. But I'm not sure they know who they even want to play at quarterback if, you know, gun to Sean Payton's head. Um, I think the Rams have everything it is looking pretty good. I could see a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl. Um, you never want to bet against Aaron Rodgers, of course, but, you know, I'm not sure they're, they're going to be the team. The one team I would say that you know, nobody's talking about would be the team that doesn't have a nickname right now, and that's the Red. I'll still call them the Redskins, the team in Washington, the Redskins. I think the number one thing you need is you need the quarterback. But if you don't have the quarterback, the best, the next best thing to have is a defensive line. And I think Washington probably has just about the best defensive line in football. And, you know, whether you win 48 to the 45 or 6 to 3, as long as you get more points than the other team, and their defense is humming right now. So I would watch out for Washington as a dark horse and you know th- there's an opportunity that you might be able to get some some long odds on them and if you can make it into the super bowl maybe as the conference champion you might be able to pull some good money out from washington well i mean you know they're, they're playing in that tough division the the nfc least as you called it you know that's <laughs> the division that no one deserves to win i mean you know that, that would that would break eagles fans hearts if the redskins make it to the super bowl they would be crushed I would, I would hate to see it because, you know, as much as I hate the Eagles, if you really asked me as a Cowboy fan, what team do I hate the most? I hate the Redskins more than any team. Um, but I think, you know, like you said, they, they with Chase Young, with some of the guys they got on that defense, they're playing, un- they're playing angry, they're playing hungry. And it would be very fitting that in 2020 that a team with no nickname <laughs> would go on to win the Super Bowl or at least get there. I'm not sure anybody's beating the Chiefs, but they might give them a run for their money. I hear you, man. That's that's you know that's uh, that's a pick that no one's even talking about. So you may be onto something here, dude. So you know, thanks again for coming out, man. I, I love talking sports with you. Like you said, talking sports is easy. I'm I'm gonna do make you one better. If we're still doing this podcast in the spring. We're gonna do a pre NFL draft podcast. Oh, absolutely. So, and we can tie it in with your book and hopefully, you know, so give me one last piece of, of info about your book. What what can I expect? When's it coming out? So we don't have an exact target date. We're still in final, um, you know, proofreading and adding. I would like to actually be able to, when the 2020 season wraps up, add a, a last few pages and add an addendum on. So we, the book is really 100% up to date. Um, so that when it comes out and includes all the stats and all the, the top players from 2020, um, it's coming out probably, I would say, sometime in the spring. I'll certainly let you know about it. It's called the Fantasy Football Retrospective. It's a look back at the history of the NFL and its key players and seasons through the perspective of fantasy football statistics and analysis. And it just should be an easy, fun read and something you could share with your friends, with your kids, with the people at work. Something easy to to take your mind off all the craziness that's going on right now. I appreciate it, Matt. Craig Mesmer, thank you so much for joining my podcast. It's always great catching up with you. We don't do it enough. I know we're all busy, and it's like you said, but this, this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast, just to, you know, something other than politics 
you know, in our mainstream media is, is something like this, something as trivial as fantasy football and sports betting. You know, if, if anything, we got to spend an hour together talking and just having a good time. So thanks again for joining me, man. And I, like I said, we'll do an episode about the NFL draft or maybe pro wrestling. Yeah, we talked about doing a wrestling one. I'm a big wrestling guy. And, you know, you said Billy Measure. I'm sure we got some other guys. I could, I could, I could. I could definitely throw my hat in the ring when it comes to, to wrestling. I heard you talking about that a little bit the other on one of your other podcasts. I'm a big fan of Schatzer says. I'll be tuning in. I'll be tuning into episode six and everything after that. So great I job, Mike. Good talking to you. Good talking to you, Craig. So good talking to you. Catch up and we'll be in touch. All right, brother. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, man. I want to thank my special guest tonight, Craig Mesmer, author of Stat One and his latest offering, Fantasy Football Retrospective, due out this spring on Covenant Publishing. Also want to thank everyone for tuning into my podcast. We're over 300 listens, and that's great. I enjoy doing these. I want to keep doing them, so look forward to these. Special episode coming up this week with AJ Andy Jacobs from Element, Mother Funk, several bands in Central PA. Looking forward to catching up with my old dear friend AJ. Thanks to everyone who's been tuning in. Stay safe in this winter weather. Have a Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you soon. And remember, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs>